Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. everybody and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. Oh me, I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Um, this is a celeb request episode. Well, I don't know that request is no. technically accurate. Nobody no. nobody requested this episode. It was celeb inspired? Yeah, I guess that's true. Does that? Does that Our dear count? family friend, Hank Green, uh... Well, tweeted. you tell you you tell the story. Hank Green tweeted uh, a little um, a, a vignette about doctors. Essentially, the point was doctors don't know anything about teeth, and they don't. The doctors say, "I'm going to take care of you head to toe," and then you're like, "But my tooth," and you're they're like, "Oh, whoa, 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 no, don't know, don't know anything about that," and that's true. I will not argue that point. Uh, I have said on the show before, we are not taught anything. You probably about- know less than I do about teeth. No, that's not true. Hmm. Weird to think about that. I know more about teeth than you do. No, that's not true. They don't take knowledge from you <laughs> about teeth in medical school. They just don't necessarily give you knowledge about teeth. But you could make the assumption safely that y- your brain has been filled up with so many other knowledges about the human body that some of the tooth knowledge has been displaced as a result. Well, your brain has been filled up with so much knowledge about Mario that tooth knowledge has probably been displaced. Sydney, that was sexist. <laughs> I hate to say it, but that was, was that, that was sex. That's sexism, folks. You got to call it out where you see it, uh-huh. and that was sexism. Ouch. That had nothing to do with the fact that you're a video game journalist, or at least you were in a former life. I'm retired. Okay, I hung up Mario's hat. I wouldn't know Mario if he spat in my face these days. All books for me. You know what uh-huh. I did this morning? I watched A Touch of Evil. By Orson Welles, a noir film. A film? <laughs> yes. Was it good? It was. Was it a little bit weird to see Charlton Heston in brown face for the entire movie? Oh, did that soil the experience? It oh, did, definitely. No. Thank you, viewer. Oh, no. Yeah, listener, oh, it did. No. It did sour the not, experience. Not great. You know, Charlie was watching a weird video that had a guy dressed as Luigi in it, mm-hmm. and I asked her, why, why is that guy dressed as Luigi? And she said, because he's the dad. Because he's the dad. I don't know what that means. Do you know why medical care and dental care are so separate in this country? You have told me the name of the thing, and I know that, but other than that, I do not know. Now, the I mean, the the big answer is there are lots of reasons, and we'll get into some of the the more boring reasons. But the the story I want to tell is kind of the mythological origin. I mean, it's really it really happened. I, I don't want to say that it is the sole. So uh, occurrence responsible for this. But the mythological origin is what is known as 
the historic rebuff. Uh, which is a great name so for good, a thing. Though. It's so good. The historic rebuff. And I think this this episode, this exact happening, is at its core um, emblematic of the separation between the two. So even if it is not the only reason the two are so separate, I think it is worth exploring. Okay. This is a little different. There's a lot more history and a little less medical. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is strange if you think about how linked oral health is to rest of body health. Were you about to say real health? No, I was just thinking like oral health is part of the body. Non-oral health. Yes, it's it's strange. Uh, We're trained completely differently. Everything is coded differently. Insurance is different. They're completely separate. What about uh, like gum disease, stuff like that? Do you guys do that? Not really. Or no. Cancers of the of that okay. Area. Now, once you start getting into surgeries, like something that might need a surgical intervention, mm-hmm. then you're getting into some of the medical specialties, like maxillofacial surgeons, and uh, there. I mean, there are oral surgeons, but that these things all get muddled after okay. a while, and okay. when you get into the more um, serious mouth pathology okay um otolaryngologists will get in there too so so there are definitely some overlaps when it comes to that that sort of thing but when we're talking about general oral preventive health and 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 dental maintenance and gum health all of that stuff falls into the you know mainly the realm of of dentists you know it's actually harder to get dental insurance than it is to get medical i think most people know that though um and so doctors learn nothing about teeth and dentists only learn about teeth. <laughs> uh, so why? Well, the origins of dentistry were much more so a trade. And we've kind of alluded to this on the show in numerous past episodes when we talk about barber surgeons. Right? Mm-hmm. You remember like barber surgeons? Crafts, crafts, craftsmen. Craftsmen? The craftsmen. They're trades, tradespeople. It it is. It was much more of. It wasn't a thought. Yeah, they're of, not artisans. I should. I misspoke. <laughs> tradespeople. Yes, I, they're not. They're not crafting anything in your mouth. I mean, these these were people who were mainly uh, removing teeth. They could bleed you. Um, they there was a point where surgeons and barber surgeons and what we would think of now as dentists and I mean to some extent doctors where it all kind of overlapped, um, and a and the the surgeon or barber or whatever you want to call them that you saw would could do any of these could do like a surgery mm-hmm. or could remove your tooth you know whatever like would do it all in France in 1210 a guild of barbers was created and this would kind of start uh sectioning out the professions to decide like well how about you don't know anything about surgery so don't do surgeries anymore just stick to Pull teeth. Uh, Bloodletting was fine. A barber surgeon was totally okay to leech you or cut you. Also cut your hair. While we've got everybody in the room, (laughs) um, Demon Barber of Seville, uh, it would be great if you would stop killing people and turning them into meat pies. Uh, Sweeney Todd, uh, we would (laughs) appreciate that if you would stop that because you are making us all look bad. And we get it for sure delicious but please as long as we're all <laughs> you, here you could say that was like the third category they, they probably, divided they divided everybody into the surgeons the lay barbers or barber surgeons the people who like cut your hair and bled you and then sweeney todd they probably didn't have the guts to name him <laughs> like if any of us 
in the room are killing people and turning them into meat pie. Just take if one step is, forward. <laughs> yeah, right. Look to your left. Look to your right. Now look behind you. Oh, my God. It's Sweeney Todd. Um, it was easy to throw into the category of like lay barber or, mm-hmm. or like I said, barber surgeons. It was easy to throw teeth into that same category as bloodletting. And I mean, they really were barbers, too. Like they really did cut your hair and shave you. In addition to bleeding you, or they did cupping sometimes and then pulling your teeth. But it was easy to throw it in there because at the time, it was just thought of as a mechanical thing. How do you take care of teeth? You well, if they them. go bad, you take them right. out. I mean, right. it was it was really that simple. It wasn't thought of like as a disease process. So it was just, it was a mechanical problem. It had a surgical solution. It didn't require a lot of finesse. You just yanked it out. At least this was the this was the concept at the time. Right. It wasn't until 1530 that a book about oral health was even published, where people even started talking about the concept of, like, mouth health, more so than just, I don't know, sometimes a tooth rots out. The idea of taking care of them. Yes. Yes. Uh, It was the first book devoted entirely to dentistry. It was called The Little Medicinal Book for All Kinds of Diseases and Infirmities of the Teeth. It was published in Germany. And it was aimed at... uh, surgeons and barbers and people who would actually take care of of the mouth and and again it talked about pulling out teeth but it also talked about uh fillings and then just like brushing teeth like trying to keep teeth healthy although again we're we still at this point don't understand the origins of like tooth decay or Mm -hmm. gum disease or anything like that so it'd be hard to say much other than we had an know, inkling, if I'm trying to remember the cavity episode, we had an inkling that sugar was involved, right? Or not at this point yet? Well, no, not at this point. We didn't know. We have looked back and thought that sugar was involved because of the timeline of cavities. But no, we, we at this point wouldn't have, wouldn't have known. And as we talked about, we talked about this a little bit in our episode on teeth, that there was also a time period in history where black teeth were really desirable because they were a sign that you could afford, like, markers, sugar. Like sure. like royalty would have black decaying teeth because they could eat fancy foods. Um, I hung out with uh, MC Bat Commander from the Aquabats mm-hmm. a, a while back, a few weeks ago. We were filming a thing for their show, and he has been um, using Sharpie to color in one of his front teeth for years now. And I just hope that it's okay, that it's not a problem. I'll have to ask the dentist when I go back in a couple weeks. Yeah, is, it, is this that, guy is okay? This, is that okay? I also want to say that earlier I conflated the Demon Barber of Fleet Street with the Barber of Seville. Yes, you did. I realized it at that moment, <laughs> but I wanted to give people time to tweet. So now they can be embarrassed. <laughs> now they can be ashamed. The Demon Barber of Seville. It's not bad. It's a good no, conflation. I like it. Spoonerism. I'll allow yes. it. Uh but at this point, dentistry is still very much tied to surgery. Um, we've talked about Pere uh, a lot on yes. the show. Yes. Uh, the father of surgery. Um, and he includes a lot of information in the late 1500s about dentistry in his surgical texts. When he's describing various surgical procedures, he also has a lot of information on tooth decay and that kind of stuff. It's The two are still very tied. The profession of dentistry as its own thing probably starts we can say in the 1700s with Pierre Fauchard who we've talked about before is is known as the father of modern dentistry and he wrote comprehensive books to talk about uh the surgeon dentist 
you know, the, a separate entity. Mm-hmm. The surgeon who is a dentist, who is different from other surgeons because there are a lot of things particular to oral anatomy and function and, and the things that we need to do to fix problems in the mouth that are very specialized and are, are their, own, their own trade altogether. Um, and from there, there were people who started practicing exclusively on teeth because up until then, if you were, and I mean, this has been the story of medicine in general, right? At first, a doctor just did everything because mm-hmm. you got the title doctor and you just did whatever. And then we realized that there's a lot of stuff to do on the human body. Mm-hmm. And we should probably have some people who do this part and other people who do this part. And we could argue whether we have become too segmented in this time in history. But the the point is, there's a lot to know. And so it made sense to have some people who were like doing surgery on this part and other people who did surgery on this part. Dentists at this point start practicing exclusively on teeth. Um, the first dentist to practice in America came from England in 1760, John Baker. And then uh, Isaac Greenwood was the first American-born uh, dentist hmm. in the United States. We've talked about before. The first dentist president. The no. first dentist who could be president. Uh, I, I yeah, There you go, that, Justin. That's true. Uh, although this would have been before the... Revolution, so yeah, because that would have been well, it would have been wild to expect (laughs) (laughs) our first few presidents to have been born. That's true, that they were technically born. I know we just started this country last week, but (laughs) the rules are rules. Uh, so in 1768, uh, one of our we've talked about this before, Paul Revere started advertising his services as a dentist. Do you remember that? Paul Revere was a dentist. Mm He also, as we've um, as we've covered, he was the first to probably practice forensic dentistry. Oh, so- solving like biting crimes. If anybody <laughs> is like bite centric crimes, he'd be like, "I know these teeth. <laughs> Take it to the lab." Yeah! One, one if by dog, two if by cat. Yeah. What? So, yeah. Uh, okay. What? No. <laughs> I don't know. Nothing. I don't Nothing think there. so. I'll work on it. Uh, so he, he started, uh, making bridges and, you know, dentures and false teeth and those kinds of things. And so he was able to when identify. When he bust the guy, he'd be like, bad news, pal. The police are coming. Like the British. <laughs> uh, I think the emphasis, it's the emphasis. You need to work on the, em- and then it will. The, Brit- the police are coming. The police are coming. That that's it. That's closer. Is that better? That's closer. Is that better? <laughs> keep just keep okay. workshopping it. Okay. So he was able to identify one of his friends who had fallen on the battlefield by his bridge that he knew he had made him. He bridge. went, I know this bridge. Oh, oh. Jimmy. And also, Jimmy's <laughs> Jimmy's <laughs> Jimmy's the sixth street biter. I <laughs> I finally cracked that case at the same time my friend was killed in battle. How could you? Uh, throughout the 1800s, dentistry started developing uh, all kinds of stuff unto itself. As more and more people, you know, just practiced dentistry outside of surgery or anything else, um, more advances were made. And we, as I already mentioned, we started making better bridges and like porcelain teeth and rubber was invented. And this was a good base for a lot of like false teeth and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there were more dental books published. The reclining dental chair was invented. Huge. That was a big that was a big advance. That was important. Do you th- okay? D- was that the first reclining chair though? Because I've met somebody got in that. And they're like, uh, "Excuse me, this is awesome." <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna 
<laughs> Hi, my name is Paul Lazy Boy, and I <laughs> I want to license this chair technology. I want I want to buy this. I want to buy. No, this. he's this not going to license it. I want to buy. I'll take a hundred percent of your reclining dental chair business. But this was in the eighteen hundreds, so for a few points. On the back end, some advisory shares. Two hundred dollars. Something. Two hundred dollars and advisory shares. One hundred percent sharks. Uh, so anyway, the dental chair. I don't know if it was the first reclining chair. Either way, uh, we've talked about the amalgam wars. Amalgam was brought over by the Crocors, who were not brothers, but are still called the Crocors brothers from France, and they were kind of um, snake oil salesmen themselves, and they did a lot of things wrong, but they weren't completely wrong about amalgam. But it took a while for Amalgam to get over this bad association. Right. Uh, but as dentistry was evolving into its own thing, there were some dentists who were beginning to see, you know what? The more we learn about teeth and oral health, the more we we need to know about health in general. Mm-hmm. The more it's linked to the rest of the body. Mm-hmm. And there were certainly dentists practicing at the time who were also doctors. And they were able to utilize this information for both. You know, mm-hmm. the, the two complemented each other. Having both knowledge bases helped them. And so there were some who began to think, you know what? Dentistry really needs to have a rigorous training program that involves medical education. Because it's really a medical specialty. Right. Uh, specifically, Chapin Harris and Horace Hayden. Uh, Horace Hayden had been trained by John Greenwood, who was the personal dentist to George Washington. He made him his um, not wooden teeth. They always say they were wooden teeth, but they, they weren't. weren't. They weren't wooden teeth. They were from a tusk, right? Like a hippo. I don't know. I don't know anything about. Yeah, that. Uh, but he was also a fife player. In case you care about that. Oh, he originally was a fife player, and then he got into dentistry. Should I care about it? Is it going know. to be important later? No. But there you go. The twist so, later hinge on that that fact. Mm-mm. Just an interesting fact. He learned how to play the fife. Uh, he had is been. Chekhov, is this Chekhov's fife? Is it going to come back up? Or you just did you just read that? It's like, why would I say that? No, John Greenwood was a fife player who just said, "I'm going to make. Uh, I'm going to learn how to make fake teeth for George Washington." That's a wild. That he's a millennial before his time. Look at that career change. Midlife right. goes. Forget fifing. It's time to make teeth. I, I love bet, that. I bet if you believe in an afterlife, I like to think that he was watching like, oh, look, they're talking about me. Man, I hope they mentioned the fife playing. <laughs> People forget that, but I really always thought of myself as a fife player first. So John Greenwood trained Horace Hayden, who was given a license in 1810. He's He was kind of like the, the grand old man dr- of license, dentistry. A license to drill, you might say? Sure. You can say that. You can say that. So he was kind of like the the important guy in dentistry at the time. Uh, Chapin Harris already had a medical degree, but he was very interested in dentistry because his brother was a dentist, and he learned dentistry from him. And then he also went and studied under Hayden as well because um, he was known as the guy, the dentist guy in America. And Harris, She's after all this study, cards. and with his, with his medical background, he started saying, we need to make dentistry a real scientific Discipline. It needs to be licensed. It needs to be researched. It needs to be structured and taught. And I'm going to make it happen. So, if you're wondering why dentists go to medical schools and how those two careers became integrated, that's the story of it. Well, they did. Thank you so much. No, they for, didn't. They didn't. No. 
Oh, the rebuff. The rebuff is about to happen. But before we before we rebuff. What a tease. Let's retire to the billing department. <laughs> let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? Pre-prepared, all I got in two minutes, I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. So, Sydney, you teased me. I think it's fair to say you teased yes. historic rebuff, and now I'm ready to get get uh, mm-hmm. rebuff me. Mm-hmm. So Harris... And and Hayden, but mainly Harris. Harris was the driving force between the but behind this at this point. Um, they Harris approached the physicians at the College of Medicine at the University of Maryland in Baltimore. That's where he was. He was working at the time, and he said, "Hey, I think we need to add like a dental instruction course here. You need to have a whole other program, a dental." 
program mm-hmm. within the medical school and uh, we can get a more rigorous training because at the time you got to remember while he had had all of this training in dentistry and had like from apprentice with actual dentists, there were still a lot of dentists practicing in the country who had little to no training, just like doctors, right? Right, right, Like it's the same as the origins of, of medical history where for a while you could just say you were a doctor if you hung out with a doctor long enough. Um, with dentists, it was the same idea. And you also had all the people who were doing the medicine shows at the time where they just went around and for just a few saying bucks, they were would, doctors. yeah, would just rip your teeth out in front of right. a crowd of people with circus music playing. So he really wanted to <laughs> add some professionalism. So he went and he said, you know, this deserves a status as its own profession and course of study with licensing and peer reviewed scientific studies and all this. And the physicians said, dentistry is of little consequence. Oh, man. Go away, Harris. Are you quoting or is that just your reenactment? They did say the subject of dentistry is of little consequence. How little they knew. That is is one thing. I I do not know that they said go away, Harris. (laughs) And also, go away. (laughs) We don't want you to. We're trying to have lunch at TGI Fridays. So Harris was not was not stopped by this rebuff. Though it, though historic it may be, uh, he persevered uh, from 1839 to 1840. He went around and gathered signatures from a ton of different citizens to petition the state of Maryland to uh, start a college of dental surgery at Baltimore. Uh, he had the help of Hayden, who, like I said, had this reputation as the father of American dentistry at the time. So he was, you know, his his help was big. There were others there were other dentists who helped Thomas Bond and William Baxley and uh Parmley and all these different people got together and by 1840 he organized the Baltimore College of Dental Surgery, the first dental school in the United States. Mm-hmm. So he he succeeded, but it was its own thing. It was its own separate entity this Mm -hmm. dental school it had nothing to do with the medical school i had to ask the question why did the doctor say no because to just say dentistry is of little consequence i mean like why why that's such a mean Mm -hmm. why were they so determined not to train dentists what is the what was the point well i i'm sure there are lots of different answers to this and nothing is ever as simple as one reason I did find some speculation that it had to do with the inclusion of a specific doctor slash dentist in the in the proposal. And that was Henry Willis Baxley. He was among the like I mentioned him. He was among the guys who helped found the dental school. Um, Like I said, he was he was medically trained. He was born in Baltimore and he went to University of Maryland and he got his M.D. there. Uh, He worked in and around Baltimore at the penitentiary and at the general dispensary. Um, he, he was working at the university of Maryland as a demonstrator of anatomy in 1834. And in 1837, he became, uh, the professor of anatomy, like the chief of anatomy there. Mm -hmm. This might be why there was so much opposition, this specific guy, because at this moment in history, there was this huge struggle at the University of Maryland between the faculty and the board of trustees. Mm -hmm. Uh, The legislature had gotten involved and had taken a lot of power away from the faculty to, and the regents to like decide their own thing. Who's Mm -hmm. chief, who gets to teach this class, who gets to give these lectures, whatever the 
trustees had come in and said, like, we don't like what you're doing. We're going to take over. We're going to start appointing people. The faculty didn't like this kind of oversight. This was not really supposed to be the arrangement. This is not typically stuff that trustees do. So the faculty rebelled and a bunch of them quit. So the trustees appointed their own people. This was very dramatic. It went to court. You're looking at me like this is no big deal. It was a famous no, court case. Just, Regents it, versus trustees. It was a huge deal. No, no, no. I'm not looking at you like it's no big deal. I'm I'm just like, get finished and I'll tell you why, why I'm laughing. Baxley got caught in the crosshairs of this because he was appointed chief by the trustees. Okay. So a lot of the faculty at the University of Maryland did not like him. They didn't trust him. They saw him as, as a turncoat, you know, as an enemy, that he had joined the trustees over the faculty and so when he was one of the ones who came forward along with Harris and Hayden and everybody else, maybe that's why they were so it's just crappy so about wild it. That, like we're gonna change the course of history because we're mad at you for like inter intercollegiate squabbling. There's also some theory that it came from him that he because of all this he was more reluctant to join with like uh, let's own. go do our own thing yeah. so I can get away from all these guys who hate me. I, either way, there's been some speculation that maybe this is why it was so I, complete. I mean, they didn't even consider it. It wasn't like, oh, I don't know. It's going to be expensive. It was just a no. And obviously it created a lot of hard feelings. So from here, dentistry became its own profession with its own schooling um the american society of dental surgeons was organized uh from there the Amer american journal of dental science was founded the first dental journal in the world because um, this is part of it if you're going to have a professional we're gonna if you're gonna have a profession I should say the profession itself you have to have rigorous training you have to have licensing you have to have um, a society that decides what does it take to be a dentist? Sure. What what bars must you you know jump and all that? And you have and and you have to have research. You have to have people who are researching and writing and sharing this information so that everybody kind of gets on the same mm -hmm. page, right? So that everybody mm -hmm. does the same thing. And so that was really what Harris knew and understood and was helping to form was the profession of dentistry. Um, and a big chunk of that was teaching dentists. Uh, and from there on. Dentists started regulating themselves and creating their own professional standards much the same way that physicians did early on. When we talk about like the origins of the American Medical Association the, and the, you know, the, the beginnings of, the, um, of AOA, like what is the medical uh, honor society was a way to like bring professionalism to medicine. All of these organizations, they had the same thing with the dental organizations, a way to start structuring. I always thought it was, I found out an interesting point, point Horace Hayden was really against a dental journal. Mm. He didn't want them to publish a dental journal. Why not? Because he thought that if you wanted to learn stuff about dentistry, it was sort of obscene to learn it from what he called a magazine. <laughs> you had to go to school and learn from dentists, from lectures, like in the in the great tradition of academics. You couldn't read a quote-unquote magazine and so he wouldn't put anything in it. Do you feel like I, I, there's a lot of ignorance on my part here? So please don't, if you're listening, don't read too much into this because I really don't know. But um, you think there's some element of gatekeeping in this too, like trying to say we can be dentists and you can't? Um, because there's a lot of dentistry things that, like, I'm assuming lay people 
could probably do, or at least these trade more like trade centric people that had like apprenticed up. Like I'm assuming there's probably some things they could do. Uh, and I, and it makes me wonder if like, there's some element of like, you know, we're, we are going to do this. So you, you can't. Well, I think that as you, I, I read a lot of accounts of the foundings of these, there were multiple early dental organizations. As I kind of mentioned, when we talked about uh, cavities and filling the amalgam wars, separated people out into different dental societies pretty early. And then there was one in the West and one in the East. And so there are all these kind of warring factions of dentists. The Amalgam Wars is the coolest name for the lamest thing possible. (laughs) The disparity of coolness between those two things is outrageous. But you're right in that there was a concern that you're trying to make this too hard. And then as we, as we move through history, it costs money to right just like and this is the same for medicine i'm not picking on dentists you could everything i'm saying you could replace with the word doctor and it would be exactly the same it costs money to go to dental school it costs money to pass your exams it costs money to get a license it costs money to join these organizations and to stay in good you know good faith with the organizations Uh, it all of this costs money and you did have dentists who were practicing at the time who probably were doing legit dentistry right and weren't part of this and didn't go to school because it came along after them, they did allow these people to join the organizations. They're just kind of ushered in like um Like retroactively. Retroactively, okay. Yeah, right. exactly. You've been a dentist this whole time. <laughs> Congratulations. The dentist you get was to, inside you. They actually put people in their dental society without asking them, which was a big scandal. Oh, no. Because then people were like, I wasn't even at that meeting. I don't want to be in your society. What is it? <laughs> uh, so as things changed, as there were more and more dental schools, Uh, There became this concern again that was kind of the origins of the profession. Wait a second. The more we learn, the more research we do, the more rigorous we are about this profession, the more we know this is medicine. This This is all part of medicine. And doctors don't know anything about this. And we're not learning about the rest of the body. And we need to know each other's stuff to do this you know, the best possible way. And there were some that were concerned that dentistry is moving too far in the direction of fixing problems after they occur and not preventing them on the front end, which again, same concern we always have in medicine. Are we too procedure focused? Are we too like treat the problem with medicine focused as opposed to preventive health? How can we stop it? So in the 1920s, uh, there was a biological chemist named William Geis who took the problem much the same way that medical education had what was called the Flexner Report, which was uh, the the Carnegie Foundation sponsored this huge report. It was it's like a book-sized report about medical education in the U.S. at this point in history. It was right right before this. And it was the basis of what we do in medical education now came from all the critiques in this Flexner Report. Okay. Well, similarly... He set out to do the same thing for dentistry. And the Guy's Report was published, The Dental Education in the United States and Canada, it's in called, 1926. It's called The Guy's Report, not The Guy's Report. G-I-E-S. G-I-E-S right. It's, it's yeah. like, casual. <laughs> so this guy's report, anyway. <laughs> so he went to every dental school in the U.S. and Canada, and he published this report in 1926. And he called for it to be integrated. He said dentistry can no longer be accepted as mere tooth technology he wanted to and he he, it's great if you read his conclusions because he says like doctors regard teeth as these strange stone structures in the mouth that i mean it's it's i mean he's right though he's right like doctors don't know anything about teeth and dentists aren't learning about the rest of health and so we need to integrate them we need to put this all together and he argued for this but there was tons of pushback honestly from dentists themselves they didn't want to lose 
their their autonomy. They didn't want uh, medical organizations and the licensing boards of medical schools and all these different things. They didn't want them coming in and overseeing their practice because they knew what they were doing. They were learning this stuff. Doctors don't know anything about teeth, which they're right. So they didn't want all this oversight. So there was a lot of pushback from dentists themselves who wanted to keep their autonomy. Mm-hmm. Um, so nothing really changed. There was all this concern, but, and I, I think dental school, I, I shouldn't say nothing changed. That part didn't change. Dental schools took this to heart and changed a lot in terms of their instruction and the way that they address preventive care and oral health and that kind of stuff. But as far as the integration of dentistry and medicine, that didn't change. Mm-hmm. Um, so around this, uh, shortly after this was published, the other issue that came into focus was dental insurance. So we'd had health insurance since the 1850s, right? We still didn't have any insurance to cover dentistry. Mm. Uh, so, wow. you, yeah, they're just it didn't exist. So it actually started in California, the International Longshoremen's and Warehousemen's Union and the Pacific Maritime Association. <laughs> when asked what might improve their work life, said, you know, what would help if just like we have health insurance, if we could have dental insurance. This was in 1954. And the idea spread really quickly to start offering dental benefits as well as uh, uh, to attract people to your place of employment. Um, so this was the origin of dental insurance, and it's also why it's completely separate. Mm. Mm. Because it was just sense. a totally different time in history, and it was added as a whole other thing. And then because we see the two things as separate. Um, there have been calls for reform to integrate the two better since then. In 2000, uh, the Surgeon General or issued this huge report, Oral Health in America, and said, like, we need to integrate these better. But again, nobody, the problem is at this point, all the professional organizations don't want this. Right. Um, and the result of this is there are over a million visits to emergency rooms each year in the U.S. about dental issues. And the problem with that, if you've ever been to an ER for a dental issue, you'll know this. Mm-hmm. There's not much we can do for you in an ER. Dentists are almost never in ERs. I've, there's never been one in our ER, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there are places where that happens, but not, not around here. And when someone comes in with a dental issue, the best I can do is if I think there's infection, I can give you an antibiotic. If you're in pain, I can give you some medicine for the pain. I can refer you, I, I, you know, but I can't. Even when we admit people for oral problems that we think the oral surgeon needs to come see them or the max for us, it's a maxillofacial surgeon who will come see them. Mm -hmm. Actually, no, I should say he's an oral surgeon and a dentist too. He went to all the schooling at our hospital, but uh, sometimes it's just a follow up. Like it'll just be reviewed and said, well, I just come see me in the office. Mm -hmm. Um, It's hard to get into a dentist if you don't have dental insurance, just like it is with a doctor. Again, I'm not picking on dentists. These are all the same for doctors, Uh, but Doctors don't know anything about teeth. So you come to the ER, we can't help you. We tell you to go see a dentist. If you can't afford it, then you're in a in a terrible position. It's hard to find dentists who will work on sliding scales, just like it is with doctors. Sometimes you can find like federally qualified health centers that will work in association with dentists and they'll help you out. Um, mm-hmm. but, it, but it's a huge challenge. Medical and dental records are separate. I have no idea what you have. If you're my patient, I have no idea what happens with your teeth. I don't know unless you tell me. I don't have access to any records. I don't have access to any coding or billing information that would help us, like, do research to connect your, the rest of your body health with your oral health because the codes are different. It makes research almost impossible. Mm-hmm. 
So like trying to figure out the origins of tooth decay and gum disease and why is this patient so much worse off than this one and how can we help them out better and prevent this, that research is very hard to do just from a practical standpoint because of the difference in coding. Um, moreover, we tend to see oral health as tied to like a morality thing, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, you have bad teeth. You don't take care of your teeth. As opposed to like, well, no, you have more tooth decay than another patient. Let's let's figure out why and help you prevent that. Not like it's a moral failing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, and teeth are tied to to our uh, socioeconomic status, right? That's why we call sure, the right. front teeth the social six. How important <laughs> it is to have those top front teeth look perfect. Um, that's why we have all kinds of ways of straightening and whitening and veneering, all that kind of thing, because teeth are very much tied to your status in this country. And there's a lot of money in fixing teeth and making them look pretty. Um, and so a lot of dentists need to do those procedures. And again, this is the same as doctors. Procedures pay more than preventive health care and preventive oral health care. So I, I'd say the same problems exist for both professions. Um, there's also not enough dentists, especially in rural areas. There are places where there's just no access. Even if you have dental insurance, there's no dentist. I, I guess, you know, it's hard, Sid. I, I've been like trying sitting here trying to think about like I know a decent amount more than your average Joe about medical training just because I went through it kind of secondhand with you and I've been trying to think of like how like what that integration would even look like like I I don't even know what that would look like because you wouldn't want to treat it like a specialty where you do four years of med school and then do your residency for three years in in teeth like that seems Mm -hmm. like a lot of wasted like you wouldn't want the full slate of medical education for every dentist right like especially if we have a problem probably not in the pipeline yeah. that's going to slow down mm-hmm. getting dentists make it more expensive you know to, to 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 do um and i know dentists can like practice right out of dental school or at least do a year of resident like one year residency they're not doing the same length of residency that um well they're not doing residencies per se right i've seen that proposed i've seen a resident a dental residency proposed there are some schools where they're doing um like joint uh undergrad dental school degrees so you don't have to go for full undergrad and then to dental school they're like combining it which is not a bad idea honestly to like streamline and target the dental education more towards the stuff you need to know Mm -hmm. um but then you think about like the administration wise, right? Like if you put dentists into the hospital system, right? They're going to roll up to people that don't know anything about t- teeth. I mean, at this well, point right now, like if we flipped a switch tomorrow, right? Like how how they even like they would have to be they would still be siloed off. We we need to because they don't I share think, the training. You know I, what I mean? I think the, some easy job. things would be, and I don't know if this is in an undergraduate capacity like if you want to or or maybe that we just need to have classes in medical school about oral health and maybe if the dentistry schools could be tied with the medical schools and the universities more that would help too um where you could have joint classes on oral health as part of whole body health Mm. um and to see the connections because i think we all need to i think dentists and doctors don't get enough of each other's stuff on both sides. You almost sides. need to do the first two years together and then <laughs> I, everybody go do your, your own thing. Yeah, I think there would be a way to integrate like whole body health and oral health into a single class that we all should take um, to, understand the, to understand the connections because people die of, of 
originally dental problems. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, they become much more than dental problems before they become mm-hmm. serious enough to be fatal. But but people die as a result of things that started out as dental issues. So it should be the purview of physicians. But at the same time, we can't fix those problems. So it is the purview of dentists, too. There's a lot of overlap, and we both need that education. Yeah. Um, but the, the thing about it, and I think it's the same thing I see in medicine, dentists push back against a lot of these changes the same way that doctors push back against changes in the healthcare system because generally the people who are making the changes aren't doctors and they're not dentists and Mm. they don't really know much about it. Mm. I think if we, because we need huge changes. I'm advocating, and I have many times on this show, I advocate for universal healthcare for a single-payer healthcare system. The same should apply to dentistry. It should all be under one umbrella. You should not have to go broke paying to get your tooth fixed or to get your blood pressure fixed. I always advocate for that, but I think you have to have doctors and dentists part of this conversation. And that's why it gets so segmented is because you start trying to interfere with professional autonomy and telling us how to do the things we do each day, but the system still sucks to work in. So all of a sudden I have all these new papers to fill out and check marks to make and you're checking like, am I getting everybody all of their numbers where they need to be, but you're not giving me the support that I need to do it because the system still sucks. Right, right, right. And dentists are afraid of the same thing that doctors are. The more oversight, the more organizations, the more the more the legislatures get involved, the more we have to do and the patients' lives aren't getting better and our lives are getting worse. Right. Um, patients' lives are getting worse too. Everybody's lives are getting worse. So we need to overhaul the whole system. But yeah, part of it has to be, I as a doctor should know something about oral health. You should. And dentists need to know what happens next more about i think i think we need to talk more about the origins of tooth decay and gum disease and how we can prevent it other than brushing because that's all we know right right brushing and flossing go to your dentist let's talk more about the origins of that and then also about how those things conflict or how those things interact with the rest of the body Mm -hmm. um we all need to learn more because then we could we could serve our patients better doctors and dentists um, um, there's a great book, Mary Otto, Teeth, the Story of Beauty, Inequality, and the Struggle for Oral Health in America. I got a lot of information from from that. I would, if you want to know more about this, I would recommend that book. Uh, folks, thank you so much for listening to our program. Um, we uh, are, are on iTunes and every other podcasting service. If you want to give us a review or a subscription there, we'd sure appreciate it. Um, uh, we have got some merchandise at McElroyMerch.com. That's M-C-E-L-R-O-Y. You can buy our book on Amazon. It's called The Sawbones Book, appropriately enough. Thanks to the taxpayers for the use of their song medicines as the intro and outro of our program. And uh, thanks to you at home for listening. We really appreciate you. And uh, if you're a dentist and you want to come teach me about teeth, I will not rebuff you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will unrebuff you and welcome the information. Uh, but... But don't tweet at her, folks. She's got a lot of tweets to read already. <laughs> you can email us. You can email. Email us and tell me about teeth because I'd still. You're going to say that now and you're going to regret it. Ooh, here in a week, <laughs> like these flipping dentists. <laughs> Stop emailing. Uh, that's going to do it for us this week. So until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Fund.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.